Hey, small town fam. This is Paul Holes. Make sure you subscribe to The Briefing Room with Detectives Dan and Dave. Season two is out now. Subscribe now and thanks. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. She came in wearing a wig, long overcoat. She didn't look anything like she had in the past. She's carrying a stack of folders. She said, now I'm going to show you why I don't want him knowing where we are or ever finding us. When a serious crime is committed in a small town, a handful of detectives are charged with solving the case. I'm Yardley, and I'm fascinated by these stories. So I invited my friends, Detectives Dan and Dave, to help me gather the best true crime cases from around the country and have the men and women who investigated them tell us how it happened. I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. We're identical twins from small town USA. Dave investigated sex crimes and crimes against children. He's now a patrol sergeant at his police department. Dan investigated violent crimes. He's now retired. Together, we have more than two decades' experience and have worked hundreds of cases. We've altered names, places, relationships, and certain details in these cases to maintain the privacy of the victims and their families. So we ask you to join us in protecting their true identities as well as the locations of these crimes out of respect for everyone involved. Thank you. Today on Small Town Dicks, I have one of the usual suspects. I have Detective Dan. The right one. <laughs> I have the right Good one. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. And our own Detective Dave is off fighting crime in Small Town USA, but he's here with us in spirit, of course, as always. And I am thrilled to welcome back one of our favorite guests and a fan favorite, retired Detective David, although affectionately known here on Small Town Dicks as classic retired Detective David, because we have so many Davids and Daves on our podcast. Welcome, sir. So happy to see you again. Always good to see you. Just as a side note, small town fam, we're all on Zoom. So, you know, in our house, on the small town dick side, you might hear the cat zipper because you can't really have a Zoom without zipper on Detective David's side. Who knows? But it's all good. We know you understand, and we're so happy that you're here to join us. So, classic retired Detective David, I'm just going to hand it over to you. 
tell us how this case came to you. Yes, ma'am. So um, I picked up a call about 9 o'clock one evening from a children's hospital, the emergency room. You know, as is typical with the severe child abuse case, they won't give you very much information on the telephone. They just say, hey, we've got an incident up here we need you to look at. So I arrived at the hospital. I probably got there about 9 p.m. and was immediately greeted by one of the hospital social workers and the on-call ER pediatrician who advised that she was just evaluating and uh, treating a two-month-old infant that was brought in earlier by the uh, infant's mother, and we'll call her Janice. Do we want to give this child a name? I'll just refer to him as the victim. Yes, understood. The child had apparent bruising on his legs. The front and rear of his right earlobe had fingertip bruising and also pinpoint bruising in the center of his right palm. You mean like somebody had stuck him with something sharp? It looked more like somebody had taken, you know, their thumb and forefinger and pinched him really hard. She had just received some of the scans and x-rays back. He had a subdural hematoma, which is basically bleeding on the brain, and a complete fracture of the number one rib on the right side and two other ribs all on the right side. And like I said, this was a two-month-old baby. As a father of three, you know, I had twins and 11 months later, so I had a lot of babies all at once. And I know these things don't just happen to newborn children. So you got to kind of fight the uh, moral outrage that you feel instantly because you know this was not natural. you got to kind of catch your breath before you meet the parent or anyone because you got to go with this thing objectively. I took a few minutes and had to catch my breath before walking in to see this. There was a nurse in there, and I saw the injuries firsthand. The child at that point was sleeping comfortably, and the mother was in the other room. Are these doctors offering opinions to you on what they think happened, or what's a plausible explanation for these injuries? They wouldn't get specific. You and I could speculate all day, but as far as how one particular injury got put on, no doctor here, at least, would ever venture to speculate when testifying or say anything like that to me. All they would say is this was definitely done by another human being and there's little doubt that it was deliberate. This is abuse. There's no other explanation for this. Yeah. How is the child doing medically? Recovering with concerns with that kind of an injury, there's going to be some developmental issues in 90% of those cases. After collecting myself, I walked out and uh, spoke with Janice. Well, she was just distraught. Her expressions, her features, everything was appropriate for somebody that had just discovered that their newborn infant had been treated this way. But there's a lot of questions. How did this occur and where were you when it occurred? She immediately calmed down just enough to where she could tell me her side of the story. She had been at work. She had gone to work at 5.30 a.m., and she'd left her baby with her boyfriend, Timothy, at his residence. Was the boyfriend the child's father? No, ma'am. He is not the father of the child. Janice and Timothy began their relationship approximately two months earlier, almost immediately after she left the hospital with her baby, the victim. They met while she was recovering from giving birth. They had just recently, within the previous two weeks, moved in together. 
the apartment where they were staying together was actually his brother's and his sister-in-law. So the four adults and this little baby were all living in one apartment together? Yes, ma'am. Janice had her own apartment. The lease was getting ready to expire. It had not yet. She was spending more and more nights there. Janice also had an eight-year-old son. He typically would stay with his grandparents. Do you know why this eight-year-old didn't live with Timothy and Janice? He would stay with them, but usually the grandparents would pick him up later in the morning to take him either to school or just pick him up to hang out at their house because they had a bigger yard, better place to play for him. Janice worked full-time for one fast food restaurant. Timothy worked full-time for another one, but he typically worked evening hours. So they developed a habit of leaving the baby with him in the morning, and usually she would get home just in time to take over while he was gone. Janice had worked a full shift. They were actually trying to save up money to get a new apartment. So she had stopped at the bank. She was getting a loan to put down for a deposit. And the victim had an appointment at a pediatrician later that afternoon. So the plan was she was going to get back just in time to pick him up and take him straight to the pediatrician's office. A little bit about the victim. He was born at 24 weeks. So he was premature. He had some medical issues There was a problem with his respiratory system. So she was a frequent visitor at her pediatrician's office. So that day, she had just enough time to pull into their driveway. Timothy met her in the driveway with the baby already in the car seat. Baby was swaddled up, buckled in. Of course, the baby rides in the back seat. She was driving. Janice gets all the way to the uh, physician's office, has about 10 minutes to spare, according to her. And one thing that I noticed while she's talking to me, she's very focused on time. The way that she would recite what time she was at each location, most people don't keep up with where they're at and what they're doing down to the minute. This could have been indicative of her having a rehearsed plan, a rehearsed statement. So that was just something that I just put in the back of my mind. She was telling me exactly where she was, right down to the minute. When she got to the doctor's office, because they were familiar with the baby. They'd always just tell her, just go straight back and get him ready for the examination. She takes him back, goes to take the blanket off of him, and uh, immediately sees the bruise on the baby's hand. And she thought it was dirt, according to her, and she tried to start wiping it. It was at that time that the baby woke up and started screaming. As she's further undressing him, of course, she can see the rest of the bruises and starts to get the idea why he is screaming so bad. She called the nurse and the pediatrician to the room immediately and showed them what she had just discovered with her baby. So looking at that and listening to that part of the story, you know, if somebody had done that to their baby, it's not likely that they're going to, you know, be on time for their pediatrician appointment if they knew that the baby was in that condition and if they had anything to do with it. But again, it's so early in this, nobody's eliminated. At this point, I'm still trying to gather names. The day before, Janice had been at her parents with both of her children, She had gotten to Timothy's place late the evening before. She knew she had to get up early to go to work. So she and the baby and the eight-year-old all went to bed. And uh, at some point, the baby, you know, they cry in the middle of the night when they get hungry. Well, Timothy volunteered to take the baby and feed it. So she stayed in bed, and Timothy took the baby into another room, fed him. Now, she did hear the baby cry at one point, but it wasn't very long, and it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. The next morning, she got up and went to work. 
When she went to work, the baby was still sleeping in its cradle, but it was really dark. She didn't want to wake up the whole house going to work, so she checked on the baby, but she didn't really examine him. She just kind of slipped out. I noticed that Janice, she had been texting on her phone when I walked in, and I asked who all of you contacted and spoken to about this, and she said, well, mostly just Timothy, because he was the last one with him. She had shot several messages to him. When she was leaving the pediatrician's office, she said, can you explain why my baby has got bruises all over him, his legs, his ears, his hand, what's going on? No alarm from him. He just texted her back. He's like, yeah, I know. I saw that this morning, but I didn't see it until this morning. And oh, by the way, you forgot to leave me formula for him when you left. Did Janice know at that point that her baby also had a subdural hematoma? At that point where I'm interviewing her, I did not give her that update. But you knew it? Yes, ma'am. The text messages went back and forth, you know. She wrote back, she said, these marks were not on him yesterday. I know that because he was with me all day with me and my parents. He didn't look like this. And Timothy wrote back and he said, they were. I saw them the evening before. Well, he had just told her he had not seen those until this morning. That was a little odd. He's trying to separate himself from the actual mechanism of injury. Plain dumb. Yeah. Those were there before me. I had nothing to do with that. Just what happens to babies who are two months old. You didn't say anything about it, so I didn't mention it. Ugh. Yeah. The other thing he said was, maybe I swaddled him too hard. I won't do it again. Well, anybody that swaddled a baby, there's just no way to put fingertip bruising on the front and back of a baby's hands by swaddling them. And everybody knows that newborn babies are made of rubber. You could just about bear hug one and you're not going to hurt them. You're certainly not going to break ribs. And none of that would explain the subdural hematoma. We have heard this before that it's very hard to actually break their bones because they're not yet developed enough to be rigid like ours as adults. Is that so? Yeah, in most cases, I mean, I've never seen it happen that it wasn't a deliberate action when it was a newborn or toddler even. Occasionally a toddler will fall or break an arm or something like that, some freak accident. But with a newborn and these injuries, just looking at the palm of his right hand, I mean, it was clear that this was someone pinching with fingertips. You know, most of my investigations were usually violent adults. It was because I really really have a hard time when I see a baby hurt. I am at my least professional, being perfectly honest, so this one required a lot of control. And a lot of agencies, not in mine, a lot of larger agencies that have more personnel, they will only let detectives work two or three of these kind of cases during their tenure. Really? Yeah, because of the psychological impact, especially detectives that have children of their own. In small towns, Many of us, you know, we worked them all the way through. We used all resources available. Right. And our detective, Dave, when he was investigating sex crimes and child abuse before he got promoted to sergeant, how long was Dave in that department? Four years? Dave did that for six years. And his partner worked that caseload for over 20. God. Oh. And part of their reasoning for that was we want these guys to be highly specialized and draw on their experiences from previous investigations and get to the truth of these child sex abuse and child abuse cases. So they left them in there. Now, the opposite of that is there's a huge tail and it whips hard. Because there's a huge consequence for that. Yeah. You know, I've seen a big difference in Dave since he's gotten out of that 
caseload. Like the son has come back to his life. There's light in his life now. That's a dark caseload to work. Yeah. To say that it affects you is an understatement, especially when you have children on your own. I guess one of the reasons I really wanted to talk about this story was because this one was uh, really a professional and personal challenge for me. I was infuriated. So before I left the emergency room, I got a few details from Janice. She gave me the names and contact information for three other people that had been with both of her children in the previous week. Janice's parents and a neighbor. So I've got a pool of suspects. As strange as Timothy was behaving, you know, nothing ever works out that simple for me. (laughs) Timothy and Timothy's brother and his sister-in-law had been there at the apartment that day before Janice came home from the hospital. I couldn't talk to them or eliminate them without tipping him off. So I had to get to him first. So some of the big telltale signs that were eliminating Janice from this was the eight-year-old had never had any kind of an injury, nothing suspicious. He had broken an arm at school at one point. But really, that was the only time that he had really ever had to go to a doctor for anything, except for regular checkups. There were interviews of the babysitters. Janice's father was really sick, and Janice's mother was just very grandmotherly. You know, they were just the light of her life. It was apparent. So they were eliminated. The neighbor that had watched the children, I had interviewed both her and her boyfriend, I actually did a surprise visit on them, just kind of a knock and talk kind of deal. I just wanted to see how they were running their show. And it's almost like they were born to raise children. I mean, they had everything covered. They had their stuff together. They had never seen any injuries on either of Janice's children and were unaware that this incident had occurred. So, again, everything's kind of pointing back to Timothy. During the course of those follow-up interviews, I did contact Janice I think by then she'd been in the hospital for a couple of days, and she sent a couple more text messages to Timothy saying he's got bleeding on his brain, and that doesn't just happen. You're the only one that was around him. There's no way that I did this. Timothy's reply was, I never accused you. And then she was unable to contact him again. You mean he just was, like, gone in the wind? Radio silent. Oh, my God. Yeah. She said, I have not received any more messages. He has blocked me from social media. His phone has obviously been disconnected. I'm not surprised by that because you're reading all the text messages, detective. He knows that this is permanent. Now he's starting to figure out like, oh, shit, maybe I've already said too much. So he just shuts it down. Keep in mind, she had just gone to the bank right before picking the child up to secure a loan for the two of them to sign into an apartment together. So Timothy goes from matrimony or or at least domestic partnership to I'm done instantly. I'm disgusted. Now, remember earlier when I was saying how focused Janice was on time, like she could remember down to the minute. Yes, right. So what I did is every time I would speak to her on the telephone or every time that we would meet, I would just test her. You know, I'm like, hey, 
tried to call you at such and such time. Where are we at? She'd always be like, well, if it's 3.30, I was doing this or I was doing that. And I would always check it out. And I mean, she was always accurate with time. Finally, I asked her, you know, you always seem to know exactly where you are every second. What's that all about? And she said, well, when you have one child and you're a single mom and you're the sole provider, caretaker, when you're dealing with babysitters, school and schedules, you've got to be on time. You can't be late for anything and you've got to really manage your schedule. And that never changed about her. So it just lended a whole lot more credibility to her and I was convinced that she had nothing to do with this, other than the bad decision of hooking up with Timothy. We briefly discussed a little bit more of their experience together in the two, three months they'd been together. And then that's when she shared with me that he had some prior military service. I said, okay, so uh, how long has he been out? She said, well, I think he had just gotten out right around the time the baby was born, you know, right before we met. Then she unloads on me that the last bit of Timothy's military service, he had spent in Fort Leavenworth, incarcerated after being court-martialed. She didn't have any details about why. She just knew that he had had some kind of trouble in the military. At that point, I said, well, why are you just now telling me this? She said she's very ashamed about what's happened to that child, and if it turns out to be him, whether he did it or not, she has moved way too fast and endangered her children. And she's really having a hard time with that. So I said, well, you know, does he work anywhere? And she said, well, yeah, fast food. And uh, he's probably at work now. And I said, are you willing to do a recorded call with him? You know, at this point, this guy doesn't know that I'm actively investigating him. So she called him at work. Nobody that he worked with knew what was going on. Management or somebody answered the phone and she'd asked for him and he came to the phone and well, now she's got him. When he answered the phone, he was surprised to hear her voice. <laughs> and um, she said, why have you disconnected? Why have you not answered your phone or anything? And he said, well, I changed my number. Well, why? He said, well, because you've accused me of all these accusations. I've been getting harassed. I've been getting harassing calls, death threats, and everything else. And uh, I described the text messages to you. There had been no accusations. You know, she just wanted to know what was going on with her child. So it was like, where's all this coming from? It didn't make any sense. Well, and how can they do it if he's changed his phone number? Exactly. Are they meeting him in person and showing up in the drive-thru and saying, hey, when you get off work today? <laughs> I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me and you, buddy. You know, of course, when he's saying these things, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull his phone records on his old number and his new number. And... uh one of the things she pointed out in the phone call was less than two hours after you sent me that last text message, I could no longer get in touch with you and your number was out of service. So you're telling me in two hours you started getting death threats and harassment when nobody but me and you knew about these injuries? <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Janice called him out on it. So after getting that juicy phone call recorded and entered into evidence, we got to looking further in his background and it turns out that he had been married once before. Actually, he had been married just before joining the Army. I was able to track down the ex-wife, found out he had two kids with her. Does ex-wife have a name? Her name was Angie. When I got in touch with Angie, she was really surprised that I was able to find her. Did the ex-wife, Angie, not want to be found? Yeah, that's correct. She had gone to great lengths to conceal where she and her two children were living. 
she had changed her last name. She had changed their last names. So you can imagine her surprise when I rang her telephone and uh, then ultimately set up a meeting with her. Now, this was a healthy freaking meeting. I met her at a neighboring jurisdiction at their police department. Angie came in wearing a wig and long overcoat. So I got a private interview room there at that department. And some of these folks I had worked with before, and they made sure that nobody questioned who she was. There could be none of that. So we got back in the room, and she's carrying a stack of folders. She said, now I'm going to show you why I don't want Timothy knowing where we are or ever finding us. She opened it up, and she showed me a photograph of what was then her five-month-old daughter with a perfect imprint of a hand across her face. And Angie had come home to that one night. So Angie and Timothy, a little bit of their background, the two of them had served in the Army. They had joined roughly the same time. They had dated one or two months. Then she became pregnant. So they got married. She separated from the military. And the two of them moved to his new duty station together. According to her, everything was fine. He was really doing well as a soldier. Now, brace yourself for this one. She said that he was a medic. He was a trained medic in the Army. Going back to, yeah, I saw those bruises, you know, the things that he had told Janice via text message. Any medic that had seen that has been trained extensively, almost weekly. Every soldier got briefings about recognizing signs of abuse. There's no way in hell he didn't know that those bruises were what they were and that they were not natural. So if he had seen them, he was trained to report that kind of thing at a minimum. So when Angie told me that, of course, that blew me away. And she said he was selected to serve in a pretty exclusive unit in the Army. Without giving that away, because I don't want to dishonor this unit, I'll just say that it was a very ceremonial unit. And it's, uh, it's a privilege to be a part of that unit. Um, having served in the Army, I was very familiar with it. And might have been there two or three months before he started getting into some pretty serious trouble. One evening, he had not come home because he had been picked up after assaulting one of his fellow soldiers. Two MPs actually had to take him into custody. So a fight between soldiers is not usually that big of a deal. It's not all that traumatic. You know, you had a bunch of young men and they fight and then they get over it. Usually not a big deal, but this was something different. The attack on this fellow soldier had been described as unusually savage and entirely unprovoked. There was really never any explanation given for why Timothy attacked this guy. Well, the MPs had a pretty difficult time getting Timothy into custody, but they did. Ultimately, his company commander had to come down and have him released back to the unit. And it was only then that he was sent home after he had sobered up. It was during this time that Angie started noticing behavior because he was spending more time at home. She'd come back and the children would be like really quiet around her, not a peep. Even the five-month-old would only play in the back room. And if she was brought into the living room or around her father, she got real quiet. It was right around that time is when she'd come home, she'd found this handprint across her baby's face. She didn't hesitate. She called the MPs. He was arrested. They held him at a confinement facility long enough for her to pack her and her children up and out of there. So the Army relocated Angie, gave her everything she needed. 
to basically start a whole new life, and they got out of there. She only had to return to testify at his court-martial. He was sentenced to a 32-month sentence in Fort Leavenworth, but he was ultimately released after 16 or 18 months. That's when he returned to this area, and that's when he met Janice. The last thing that Angie told me before we parted ways is Timothy likes to lie about his military service. He's going to tell you that he deployed to Afghanistan, but he never deployed anywhere. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, Small Town Fam. Did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? So as the days get longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award-winning home security that we recommend. Hey, Small Town Fam. Detective Dave here. Yardley's right. As a former police officer who's responded to hundreds of alarm calls, the benefits of Simply Safe cannot be understated. On Small Town Dicks, we often discuss home security and situational awareness. Simply Safe provides an easy and effective way for you to accomplish both. Simply Safe was just named Best Home Security System of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report and recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. And you, small town fam, can test out a Simply Safe system with absolutely no risk to you with Simply Safe's 60 day risk free trial. If you don't love your system, return it for a full refund. So protect your home today 
our listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Be sure to take advantage of the Small Town Fam discount at simplysafe.com slash smalltown. That's simplysafe.com slash smalltown. Do it. So finally, the day that I've been waiting for, it's time for the big reveal. It's time to wake Timothy up. Janice had stopped trying to contact him. So he had grown comfortable thinking that he's not going to hear back from her again. So we set up a ruse. We started by first contacting Timothy's mother, notifying her that the neighboring jurisdiction was investigating Janice on a child abuse allegation. And we had just learned that she had been in a previous relationship with Timothy and that the neighboring jurisdiction asked us to try and interview him about Janice's demeanor around her children and uh, what, if anything, he might have known about these strange injuries to the victim. That kind of lightened things up for him because if the neighboring jurisdiction is looking at Janice, they're not looking at Timothy. So rather than us contacting him directly, we pretended like we didn't know where he worked. I had my partner contact his mother. So the ruse depended on Timothy believing that my partner was the primary investigator that was assisting the neighboring jurisdiction. I'm just this disinterested guy to him. (laughs) And of course, Timothy's mother protected him like every mother should. We'll help any way we can. And he's working at such and such fast food restaurant. But I'll get in touch with him and have him give you a call. And uh, it wasn't long. He called my partner and said, yeah, sure, I'll be glad to come down and talk to you. So we set it up the next day. We didn't have him in the interview room. We had rigged up the office, our area, with cameras, recorders everywhere. We received a few fake phone calls while he was in the office and uh, had certain people call us at certain times, and they would call me. You know, we'd just basically pretend that it was the neighboring jurisdiction inquiring what Timothy might know about Janice. My partner just asked, what's Janice like? As you can imagine, it didn't take him 30 seconds before he is just throwing mud all over her. Oh, she just got a violent temper. I broke it off with her and had been wanting to break it off with her for some time. He said he had allowed her to move into his brother's place with them, kids and all. That is the goodness of his heart, even though it was his brother's place. And the more this guy talked, it was all me, 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 I'm wonderful, and she's the devil. She got him to write down what he could remember, and he starts writing. When evaluating someone's, whether or not they're being deceptive or not, people can tell a liar. They can accidentally say something that was mistaken, or something can slip out of their mouth. You know, oops, I forgot, or I made a mistake. But it's less likely that it was any mistake if that person engages in the deliberate act of writing down something and saying this is what occurred or whatever, you know, that's pretty deliberate. Kind of hard to get away from that written statement. But Timothy was all too willing to give up what he remembered and how Janice was around the house. And yeah, she really should be investigated. She passes the kids from one babysitter to the next. And I mean, the kids never stay in the same place for more than two days. And I mean, it was just getting it down the road. So while he's writing... My partner gets up and leaves the room like she's going to go get him a drink or something. I'm sitting off to the side, 
working on some other casework, just kind of writing and just listening in every now and then or kind of engaging in the conversation like it was it was going to be a light day for me. When my partner had brought him into the office, he's wearing an army jacket, like this really customized leather. It's got the big, you know, single white star on the back and just really making a big production about the fact that he had served in the military. Well, I'd served 10 years active duty. So I used that as the opening conversation between the two of us. We just discussed, you know, everywhere we'd been. And I asked him, you're a young guy. Why didn't you just stick it out or stay in for a couple more years? You know, you seem really intelligent. You know, why didn't you uh, maybe become an officer? And he says, well, I had to get out long enough to uh, get set up in school and everything else. But yeah, that's the plan ultimately is I'm going to go back in as a commissioned officer once I finish school. Now, by this time, I've got his military records, and I don't think this guy could get into the freaking Russian military at this point. <laughs> uh, he certainly wasn't going back into the American military. And like I said, he had done, it was a 30-something month sentence. He had done 16 months of it. And so basically, he was almost like on a military parole at the time when all of this occurred, because he still had a little time left in that enlistment. There's no way in hell he was coming back, and there's no way in hell he didn't know he wasn't coming back in the military. But boy, he had all kinds of stories. I started talking to him about deployments, told him about a couple of mine. He said, my brother deployed to uh, Iraq. He said, I only deployed for about three months, and I was with such and such unit. Can't really talk about it, but, uh, you know, it was uh, doing some covert work, just like his ex-wife said he would, you know. So I just let him run with it, boy. You know, I just played into that and just let him ham it up real good, knowing that this is all going to work towards showing his character to the jury. And we probably talk 45 minutes before my partner comes back. So Timothy finished writing his statement. The whole time that he and I are talking, I'm sitting off to the side. Every time my partner was talking to him, of course, she's sitting right across from him, talking to him just like, you know, he would ordinarily interview someone. He doesn't suspect me for anything. Well, she looks at his written statement. She said, I appreciate you writing all of that. She said, I did talk to the neighboring jurisdiction and, um, they did ask me to ask about some strange injuries on the child. Timothy said, you know, that doesn't surprise me a bit that that would have occurred. You know, given her demeanor, it was just a matter of time. And so she asked him point blank, did you see any kind of marks on her or see her hit or anything like that? And he just said, no. She said, well, now that they've asked about that, do you mind writing what you remember from that day on a separate statement? And he's, no problem. Well, she left the room and again, we start shooting the breeze about military service, things like that. And uh, he's riding away. And the last line of that second written statement was, there were no marks on that child when he left me that day. So when my partner comes back in, she reads it and she hands me the statement. Then when I read that line, well, I'd exercised all the restraint I was going to exercise. Remembering his text messages, remembering his conversation on the uh, recorded call. By this time, I had his phone records that showed that within... An hour and a half of the final text message to Janice, he had canceled his phone subscription, got an entirely new number. That's when I stood up. First thing I did is I laid out a photograph of his five-month-old baby that he had with Angie, his ex-wife. That photograph with that big handprint right across her face. I said, do you recognize that child? Well, now he realizes. Oh, shit. But we're not dealing with a normal human being. Even in the face of direct evidence, he's the kind of guy that will lie. And he's like, yeah, that's my daughter. And I said, uh, 
Any idea where she's at? Well, no, we divorced over some stuff that occurred in the military. And I said, yeah, okay. We're going to get back to your military time in a minute. Well, let me ask you this. The last part of your written statement, you're saying you didn't see any marks on Janice's child that day? I said, that child had no marks. And I said, well, how come you told Janice that there were marks? And he said, well, I didn't. I said, well, yes, you did. And I laid out the text messages to him. Now he's starting to get the picture. It ain't the neighboring jurisdiction that's been looking at the case. It's been me. And I said, what was your job in the military again? I was a medic. I said, okay. And I said, now you specifically described in one of your text messages that you had seen bruises on the victim's hand and on the ear. Do those look natural to you as a trained medic? Well, um, they weren't really that color. They weren't all black and blue like that. And I said, well, you saw them the night before. Then you had him the next day. You were aware of them. And there was one text message that you sent to her where you told her that you had made her aware of those. In the military, didn't they teach you how to recognize what's natural injury and what's not? And of course, he couldn't really deny that. He said, well, I'm not the child's parent. Oh, boy. It went downhill from there. Then finally, I said, okay, have you lied to me at all in this interview? Well, no. What do you mean? Well, first of all, you said you were in a program to reenter service as a commissioned officer. How are you going to do that with that 16 months you spent in Fort Leavenworth? Are you sure you didn't lie about that? He's like, yeah. Yeah, I lied. I said, no. You said you served in such and such unit as they deployed to Afghanistan to further support a mechanized infantry brigade, and he listed off the unit. That was the last unit that I'd served in when I was active duty. I knew damn well that that unit had never deployed to Afghanistan. It did deploy to Iraq, and it did deploy ultimately to Afghanistan in smaller detachments, but never as a full brigade. You can't deploy a mechanized infantry brigade in a top-secret manner. I mean, that's a huge unit. Sure, much too conspicuous. Yeah, even if you hadn't served, it just didn't make any sense. I mean, he had really laid it on thick. You know, speaking to somebody that has served and deployed, that shit don't fly. That makes me sick that you would claim something like that. You know, when there's so many soldiers out there that it really laid it out there. And so many, so many families have lost real heroes, you know, for you to say that kind of shit. I mean, he checked every freaking block I had. So, ultimately, Timothy didn't want to confess to anything, didn't want to talk anymore. I said, sir, you're free to leave. Free to leave? Free to walk out. Yes, ma'am. We didn't take him to an interview room. We took him to our office. There was a main door in and out of there. That door was left ajar at all times. And throughout the entire thing, I told him, you know, if you want, I'll just take you back down to work. Or you can, you know, call somebody, come pick you up. Just finish this up tomorrow if you want. Whatever you want to do, man, if you got to go, you got to go. And that's all recorded. There was no question in his mind on whether or not he was free to leave. He was free to leave. If you close the door and lock the door, that would be construed as this is a custodial interview. A reasonable person would believe that they're in custody. If you say, hey, when we get done talking here today, no matter what you tell me, unless you tell me that you've got bodies buried in your backyard, you're walking out of here it's pretty clear that that's a non-custodial interview. So there are different ways to handle those interviews where Miranda is sometimes required, where it's always required, when it's not required. Yeah, you're right. And actually, we gave him a full Miranda warning. 
I said, we're just going to do this by the book. You know, so I am going to advise you of your rights. But I did make one mistake when he didn't confess to what we knew he did. And I told him he was free to leave as he's walking out the door. I said, thank you for not confessing because I want you to get every freaking minute of this sentence that's coming your way. Why, if Timothy had confessed, would it potentially impact his sentence or how he was tried in court? In my experience dealing with prosecutors and judges in particular, when it comes to sentencing, they want to see that the defendant has taken accountability. And a confession is accountability. When you don't confess, and especially when you're at sentencing, the defendant is offered a chance to speak. And if they don't take accountability, sometimes the judge will be maybe a little harder on you. I see. And plus, I'm not going to put cuffs on him yet because I have not eliminated his brother and his sister-in-law. I knew who I was dealing with. But got to check the blocks. You got to make sure that others weren't at least complicit because, you know, if his brother had known or might have even participated in causing those injuries. To Angie's baby. Yes, ma'am. He ain't walking if I can get him. So that's the reason why I let him go. These cases have to be presented very carefully, and the district attorney would much rather see this presented to a grand jury before you make an arrest, just because they're going to have to argue pretty serious circumstantial case. So I wanted his military records, and I also wanted his court-martial records. I wanted every bit of testimony, if anything was said, as Timothy was being escorted off to Fort Leavenworth. I wanted everything. I could already tell with the injuries and the number of people that had taken care of the baby and the circumstances under which the injuries were found on the baby all boiled down to, I had nothing more than a circumstantial case against this guy. Hey, small town fam. Did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? So as the days get longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award-winning home security that we recommend. Hey, small town fam, Detective Dave here. Yardley's right. As a former police officer who's responded to hundreds of alarm calls, the benefits of Simply Safe cannot be understated. On Small Town Dicks, we often discuss home security and situational awareness. Simply Safe provides an easy and effective way for you to accomplish both. Simply Safe was just named Best Home Security System of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report and recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. And you, Small Town Fam, can test out a Simply Safe system with absolutely no risk to you with. Simply Safe's 60-day risk-free trial. If you don't love your system, return it for a full refund. So protect your home today. Our listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Be sure to take advantage of the Small Town Fam discount at simplysafe.com/smalltown. That's simplysafe.com/smalltown. Do it. 
Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. So, I let him go. Before Timothy could make a phone call or notify anyone, my partner was at his brother's place. And his brother and sister-in-law agreed, jumped in the car, come on down to the police department. And I remember distinctly interviewing the brother. And the brother was so honest, it was painful. I mean, he's one of the most honest, sincere people I had ever, ever interviewed. The guy loved kids. He'd never seen Timothy do anything to the baby. He was aware that Timothy had some anger issues, and he was aware that he had been incarcerated. And he said, as a kid, Timothy had some rage issues. Timothy's assault on the other soldier did not surprise his brother. You know, he was as open, honest as he could be, and uh, he was eliminated. There was no way he was involved in it. And his wife just didn't spend enough time there. Uh, There's no way she could have done it. She was at work all that day, and there's no way she could have done it. So all blocks were checked that day. Then comes the long, painful delay of waiting for the grand jury to convene. Yeah, and you got to round up witnesses. You're going to have to go to the hospital and talk to the doctors who evaluated the child. You know, this was one, too, that required, because of the injuries, extensive follow-up medical exams. They wanted to see what, if any, issues had developed or would likely develop as the child healed is a justification for the charges and also presuming a conviction, how he would be sentenced, and also to coordinate for any you know restitution or financial assistance from the state to pay for remedial physical therapy, things like that. It was frustrating waiting for this thing. It was two months after that before this thing got on the docket to be presented. You know, I felt like it was forever, but really it was only two months. Now, brace yourselves. In that short amount of time, Timothy had met another lady. No way. And had moved in with her and her parents, and she was pregnant with his child. So I brought this up, and I said, look, she's got a baby on the way. He's living in another city. You know, it was probably 50 miles from there. And... uh Everyone's in danger as long as this guy's still out. At a minimum, you know, we need to get this guy charged so that the new lady at least can make an informed decision about what she's going to do with the rest of her life. So we rushed the process, and of course we got an indictment, which is converted into an order to arrest. And like I said, he's like 50 miles away, working for his new girlfriend's father, doing property management for several apartment complexes that were in this one area. And it was so funny. We drove all the way up there, and uh, we stopped to meet local police officers to help us track down where Timothy might be. And uh, we'd met at a little travel center, you know, kind of like a little truck stop thing. And as we're talking about the management company, I'm literally briefing the other officers. And I look, and there's a work truck over there with that property management company sign right there on it. And as I'm briefing and I'm describing Timothy, I notice this. And then one of the officers, sharp as a tack, looks right over my shoulder. She goes, 
Could that possibly be him walking out of the store? No way. Sure enough, right there. Imagine his surprise. Imagine his new girlfriend's father's surprise. As I finally got the gratification of slapping some metal on them wrists and stuffing him in the back of my car and transporting him on to uh, county jail. He stayed in custody for three or four months pending trial. His new girlfriend met with me, said that she was in love with him and doesn't believe any of these allegations or charges. His new girlfriend, he's very familiar with the allegations against him from Janice's case because this one made the news. So pretty much all of our mid-state area was very aware of this case and the outrage was just tremendous. But there was just no convincing this young lady. She's just going to stick with Timothy to the end, you know, and especially with this baby on the way. So that's what she did. While he was incarcerated and he was talking to his new girlfriend on the phone, well, of course, I'm recording every damn call he's making. So, of course, I was usually a subject of some point, you know, this guy's fucking <laughs> lying on me. Well, I can't wait to see his face when I get acquitted and blah, blah, blah. So his girlfriend's mother and father bonded him out. They put their property on the line to bond him out. Oh, no. They didn't really have to worry about him skipping out. This guy was too lazy and he had a meal ticket right there. You know, he's not going anywhere. So Timothy stayed with them. You know, he did have to wear an ankle bracelet, you know, one of the ankle monitors. Finally, trial came. This thing went on for a while because there were so many experts involved and there were so many bench discussions where the jury was asked to leave the room and where my testimony about Timothy's stolen valor was basically qualified. And I was told what I could discuss about military service and what I could not what was prejudicial and what was not. And the judge gave detailed rules. So it was a lot of legal beagle stuff that was going on that really dragged his trial out. I'm guessing he did not take the stand in his own defense, Timothy? No, he didn't. And I'm just assuming here that the defense is going to say, you don't have a confession from this guy, and they're going to blame it on somebody else. So I'm wondering, who did they blame all these injuries on? They didn't blame the injuries, but what they did do was try to poke holes in my investigation, saying that I'd made so many, you know, pre-drawn conclusions. And that basically I had identified Timothy as the primary suspect of a case before ever even interviewing his brother. So how could I possibly have looked at this objectively if I had not interviewed his brother? Of course, they were expecting me to give some long, drawn-out answer. And when I was asked that question on the stand, it was very simple. Said his brother's probably one of the most honest human beings I have ever interviewed in my life. Ever. They presented the video of his interview, and everybody could see the same thing. This guy didn't lie about anything, and he was very detailed in his timeline as well. That was the biggest thing, is they just tried to poke holes in the uh, investigative due process. I'm guessing probably the first few days, even a week of that trial, is all suppression hearings. Most of the motions trials, the uh, suppression hearing, things like that, that was the week before. What is that? So a suppression hearing is both sides are going to argue what should and should not be allowed in the trial. And you've got this evidence of his military experience. And you've also got a pattern of behavior of his abuse towards children. 
So to me, that pattern of behavior, yes, it's highly prejudicial, but it's a pattern of behavior. This is what he does. So as a prosecutor, you definitely want that to be in the trial, his previous conviction for similar circumstances. He loses his temper and he abuses children. It was a hell of an argument, too. And I mean, their defense attorney was doing a bang-up job of trying to keep that out. Most of it was not permitted into the trial. For example, the prior assault and um, the details of what led to his incarceration. But the fact that he had been incarcerated, the assault on the fellow soldier was admitted. I was really shocked about that. The reason it was admitted is because I got him to blab about it right after I'd confronted him in his interview. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it was a lot of that. Ultimately, Timothy was convicted on two counts of aggravated child abuse, which are really heavy here. And at sentencing, Janice got to give her victim impact statement. She really let him have it. By this time, she was really struggling emotionally with her role in bringing this man into her life. She had received some assistance in that regard, and the final step for her was this victim impact speech. You could see all of this weight lift off of her as she just let this guy have it. And though the judge denies it, I swear I saw a tear in his eye when he laid out that sentence. Timothy originally got 47 years in prison. Now, subsequently, he appealed because the judge had over-sentenced him, so... He's doing 25 years. You know, he's going to be a pretty old fellow by the time he steps back out, and he will always be listed as a violent offender. What was Timothy's demeanor when Janice was giving her victim impact statement and when the judge was sentencing him? While she was giving her impact statement, he was just emotionless. He just was staring at her. That was all. When Timothy was convicted... Not when he was sentenced, but when he was convicted, you kind of saw the color run out of his face. You could almost physically see it. He needed assistance being escorted out of the courtroom and into custody. When he got the 47 years, he nearly collapsed. Had to be held up by one of the uh, court deputies. They ended up kind of just dragging him out of there. He just could not believe it. And this little victim, did he suffer developmental issues or any long-term issues? The little rascal's doing all right. In fact, my brother and I took him fishing last weekend. He's just fine. Oh, my God. That makes me so happy. He's in school. Obviously, he doesn't know anything. Doesn't even know why he knows me. I'm that guy. Takes him fishing every now and then. That's so great. Janice has not put another man in her life. Probably won't ever, according to her. She just won't have it until at least after her children are gone, moved out of the house. The then eight-year-old is now about a year out from graduating. Dean's list every time report cards come out. Just doing awesome. Amazing. That's great. I love to hear that. Yeah. I'm going to quit taking him fishing. That little rascal catches bigger fish than I do. (laughs) And will not shut up bragging about it. (laughs) Oh, that's phenomenal. What a great, not at all what I expected. It was a pretty happy ending to a really terrible case. Classic retired detective, David, we love having you on the podcast and thank you for advocating for the little ones. I think a lot of you guys, I love this program. I think it does the profession a great service. I think it can only benefit those that don't regularly affiliate with the police to have a better understanding of what 
cops do and have to do and also what victims of crime do. And I think you guys doing a hell of a job of getting that out there. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. That means everything. Small Town Dicks is produced by Gary Scott and Yardley Smith and co-produced by Detectives Dan and Dave. This episode was edited by Logan Heftel, Gary Scott, and me, Yardley Smith. Our associate producers are Aaron Gaynor, The Real Nick Smitty, and Alec Cowan. Our music is composed by John Forrest. Our editors extraordinaire are Logan Heftel and Soren Bajan. And our books are cooked and cats wrangled by Ben Cornwell. If you like what you hear and want to stay up to date with the show, visit us on our website at smalltowndicks.com. Small Town Dicks would like to thank Speech Docs for providing transcripts of this podcast. You can find these transcripts on our episode page at smalltowndicks.com. And for more information about Speech Docs and their service, please go to speechdocs.com. And join the Small Town fam by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Small Town Dicks. We love hearing from you. And if you support us on Patreon, your subscription will give you access to exclusive content and merchandise that isn't available anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash smalltowndickspodcast. That's right. Your subscription also makes it possible for us to keep going to small towns across the country in search of the finest, rare, true crime cases told, as always, by the detectives who investigated them. So thanks for listening, small town fam. Nobody's better than you. 